you have to prepare like crazy. I mean, you have to prepare for for your demise. Basically, you have to you have to prepare as if your life depends on it. Uh, especially with some of these big solos, or or you know, playing a concerto, for instance, you have to prepare. You can't just walk on stage and 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 hope your nerves will hold up. You have to prepare for the the nerves to, to for your bow arm to go to be shot. So you have to plan out your entire piece, your bow arm, your strokes, especially the concertmaster solos. You have to prepare your breathing for for playing these solos. Where am I in the breath when I'm starting the first note from uh, uh, Scheherazade? You know, it's like I, I go through like a. You know, so that my, the beginning is, you know, starts immediately without any hiccup, you know, that the stroke is perfect. And that's the other thing, prepare for perfection and, 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 and then don't be surprised when it isn't perfect because it never will be. But really, perfection is actually not attainable, but it's a really good goal. It's a high-level goal of, of uh, uh, preparation. Welcome to String Sessions, the music parent podcast. I'm your host, Joanna Farrar, and it's my pleasure to introduce our guest today, New Jersey Symphony Concertmaster Eric Weirich. Eric is on faculty at Princeton University and was a longtime member and leader within the Orpheus Chamber Orchestra. He is, of course, a fantastic chamber musician, soloist, and concertmaster with decades of experience. And in our interview today, he touched on some of the important skills he shares both with his young daughters, who are both young musicians, and with his students and their parents. In a few places, he demonstrates some technical ideas. So if you'd like to see what he's showing rather than just hear it, you can always click over to watch this interview on our YouTube channel. Please take a moment to subscribe. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a good review over on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the show. So thank you so much for joining us today. I am very happy to have our guest, Eric Weirich, on today. And as you have heard, he has quite a background, quite a prolific background in a number of different um, areas of the music world, both as a teacher and a performer. And he is also a colleague of mine. And it is uh, my pleasure to have you on. So thank you, Eric, for being here. My pleasure to be here. It's lovely. So People have heard a little bit about what you do and your your life as a concertmaster, but can you tell us a little about your musical background? Where kind of how did you get started, and what were some of your your musical influences that got you to where you are? Kind of your story a little bit. <laughs> right. So uh, my parents are both musicians. Uh, my mother is a pianist and a dancer, so but not not a great pianist. She was able to to accompany us as kids, and she practiced with the kids. Uh, I, I started the violin when I was about four and a half, so it's coming up to 60 years that I've been playing the violin uh, next year, so that's a milestone coming. Um, do I even remember that far back? Yes, I do, because, uh, you know, I've had several children myself. I have four girls, all musicians, so uh, the, the um, process of starting on the instrument, of practicing, of of uh, negotiating daily uh, uh, practice sessions and stuff like that is very fresh in my mind. It's still going on with my uh, high school age kids. But um, yeah, so that was a big part of my life. My parents were totally dedicated to 
uh, our our musicianship. My brother, my brothers are both musicians. Uh, my brother Peter is a cellist with the San Francisco Symphony. My brother Jed is a pianist, but he's also a scholar and a, a professor in the um, in uh, Chico in the California system. Um, a professor of religion of all things, uh, uh, but uh, that's neither here nor there. So um, yeah, so so my parents were completely dedicated to. Uh, their children and and the training thereof. So we, you know, we would uh, on Saturdays we'd go to Juilliard from. I lived in Poughkeepsie, New York. We go to Juilliard from Poughkeepsie from when I was about six years old, and uh, we did that every Saturday. Uh, both parents, or sometimes one or the other, but driving and staying the whole day waiting for us to be done, just like many uh, parents are doing these days, and uh, then take us home and then start the whole thing all over again. Um, so that's through high school, and uh, I studied with a legendary teacher named Dorothy DeLay and, uh, for many, many years, and um, was fortunate enough to be in this class of extremely uh, 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 high-functioning uh, violinists, soloists, chamber musicians, concertmasters, all that came, came out of that class, so, so that was a big influence for me, having peers that are amazing and, and uh, co the competitive aspect of it, but also the camaraderie and the uh, shared experience of uh, a certain school of playing and, you know, uh, aesthetic of, of violin playing that we all learned, and, and, and it was a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, you know, after that, I, 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 I sort of dropped off of the student track and, you know, trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. So I spent a, actually a couple of years just practicing. I did some competitions. I did some uh, auditions and I got a job. I, I got a couple of jobs right away. I got the, the, the job in the New York City Opera violin section. And I also got a concertmaster job in uh, Boca Raton. Uh, However, before I even showed up for that job, the orchestra folded. So I'm getting a, a taste of what it's like to be a musician, uh, you know, with the finances and so forth. And But I did have a job. It was a, it was a you know, a seasonal job, city opera, but it was a great um, base, uh, um, base income for my future life, which became chamber music and... Um, uh, uh, leadership position, you know, I, I play concertmaster here and there, you know, off and on, but I'd, I'd be called as, I became known as a concertmaster to be hired at, free, at a freelance basis and, uh, and, and put together a chamber music festival in, in uh, East Hampton with a good friend of mine. And, and we, we, you know, we did stuff like that, just so, sort of f figuring out ways to play music uh, on our own until the reputation got going, and then I was called for, uh, you know, to become a member of Orpheus Chamber Orchestra, and then I got a concertmaster job with with uh, uh, American Symphony, and um, all the while I still had this city opera job, which was steady income, life and uh, health insurance, instrument insurance, that kind of thing, uh, until I finally got the uh, New York New Jersey Symphony job when I'm. 40 years old. So uh, I've been there for uh, 38, 39 years old. I've been there about 25 years now. So that's, that's in a nutshell, that's 
my career as a violinist. That's that is obviously a lot. <laughs> um, and I think it's it's interesting to me because one of the, the threads that seems to me to follow through all of that is something I think all all professional musicians we have to do to a certain extent, which is, as you were saying, like you, you make opportunities or you find the opportunities to to make music, to do what you need to do. While having a base, sure, of course, but like still there's the thread of, you know, making your own opportunities, but also the thread of leadership, because obviously you were you were playing as concertmaster a lot, it sounds like, from a very early age. And I was curious, I wanted to kind of get to these questions later in the interview, but it sounds like it's coming up already. Um, do you feel like that experience of being comfortable in leadership positions was something that you had from childhood? Was it was there were there specific teachers that kind of helped to, um, I don't know, encourage that ability? Or is it just something where you're like, yeah, it just kind of came naturally. It's what I always did. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. I mean, um, I was always playing in an orchestra, you know, I, I, also, by the way, I forgot to tell you, I, I from, from 14 years old, I got a job in the Hudson Valley Philharmonic. So I was playing in a section, a symphony, symphony section at that point. And, um, played in the section at Aspen every summer, uh, chamber chamber orchestra. These were really my best training opportunities were playing with these groups. So, uh, and, and, and the city opera. So I, I would sit back and watch how things would work and not with the idea that I'm getting a, you know, I'm moving up because I, did, I had no idea what was gonna happen. You're sitting there, you know, opportunities come, they go. Failures happen all over the place. Uh, I did get a, a early on. I got a concertmaster position at the New York String Orchestra seminar uh, with uh, Alexander Schneider. So that gave me an idea. Oh, I might be able to do that, and I think I was successful at it. Uh, I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, but I think I think I think it was successful. And then uh, people would call me, and I'd do stuff. So yeah, I, it wasn't a dream of mine. Uh, you know, dream of being a soloist, a violin soloist, you know, uh, but that, but I, I don't think I ever really had the uh, the uh, skill set for being a soloist. And, and I'm so happy I didn't because that is that is a very difficult job, you know, to, to be uh, soloing and to be on all the time. And I'm on a lot, you know, but that that is that is even something, you know, in another another degree. Um, yeah, so things just sort of happened, and and um, I had a b belief in myself, of course, uh, and and I love the music. I think that's the key: is to love the music and also to want to be, um, want to have the agency to 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 make the music your own and not just follow what someone else does. You know, so that was a strong thing. And then when I became, Orpheus seemed to be the perfect job for, just for that, because that's giving agency to every person in, in the section and rotating uh, leadership and stuff like that. So I was able to learn from uh, really tremendous uh, chamber musicians and soloists and uh, uh, concert masters. So that's really my best training uh, situation. So I, from that, you know, I'm good. You know, I can do it. I can lead anything. Uh, uh, up to a certain amount of players. <laughs> <laughs> sure, of course. Um, yeah, that's that's 
Very interesting. And I have some other questions that kind of follow on from that. But I wanted to just mention, can you tell us a little bit about your, obviously, we've, we've talked about your concertmaster and chamber musician and these other these other hats that you wear. You're also a teacher. Can you tell us about where you teach and kind of what you've been doing with that just so that um, so I have some questions about that? <laughs> Right. So, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, a lecturer at Princeton University, have been for eight or eight or nine years, I guess. Um, and uh, interesting that uh, there's so many different levels of player uh, in the print as a, as a Princeton teacher. So because I, I, I have I've had people that go on to grad school in in music on their instruments, violin or viola. I've had uh, people who are uh, winning the competitions at, at the concerto competition at the school, and then they're going to go off and, you know, be a, a you know, an intern or whatever. It's Supreme Court just, you know, <laughs> justice or whatever. And then, and then people who are uh, in finance and others who, you know, as a as a sophomore are invited to med school, and then they spend the rest of their time in. Princeton trying to be a musician. So the, the, really a lot of different levels and, and uh, it's fascinating because it, I found out that at every level of play, basically talking about the same things to, to the student. And these are college kids, but it doesn't matter. It's like levels don't, aren't, aren't based on your age. There's a certain maturity that happens, you know, 12 or 13 years old, maybe you start getting interested in the, in the, the process that you've been uh, sort of pushed to do for the past eight, eight or nine years as a violinist, but the levels are always the same and, and need the same attention on a daily basis. And uh, I encourage my students who are, you know, they're there for academics and they don't have time to practice, I say, you know, if you can every day do 20 minutes, you will be able to maintain your playing uh, throughout your college years. Because if you don't maintain your playing, you'll lose the skill that you've spent these, you know, 14, 16 years developing. So uh, that, I find that that's my job. I try to try to inspire people to play 20 minutes a day. And, and then uh, when we get to the lesson, to give them a really good workout on their instruments, because these people are also playing in orchestra, so they have, they do have some structure, and and are playing the violin, uh, uh, you know, two or three times a week in orchestra. Some have chamber music also, but uh, I maintain that you still have to do those twenty minutes in order for you to enjoy those other times. You know, you can't just blindly go into something without having touched the violin or learned the music that you're playing. So, yeah, yeah, a couple of things. <laughs> yes, quite a number of things. So you are primarily working with, um, you know, with college age students. And as you said, students that are in a very rigorous academic environment, which means that while some of them may go on to be professionals or, or you know, do something in the music world, they are also balancing an enormous amount of other responsibilities, which can be true for these days. I mean, school age kids are pushed in so many different directions, too. And I think your advice already, that's that's wonderful advice so far. Are there other things that you find that you are frequently having to address with students? I feel like sometimes with teachers, we have things that 
we know when we have like a new student come in, we're probably going to have to address this sooner rather than later, either because it's a thing that we really enjoy working on or because it's a mistake that we see a lot of people making. Are there are there pitfalls that you frequently see that you have to address outside of you need to play 20 minutes a day? <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, everybody, you know, the, the, one of the hardest things to do is to employ or deploy vibrato. So uh, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, young kids need to be reminded constantly to vibrate. It's, it takes a lot of effort. It's like if you're a swimmer, you have to be reminded to kick, you know, and otherwise you're not going anywhere. And that's the hardest thing about swimming. Well, the hardest thing about, you know, the constant hardest thing about playing the violin, I think, is vibrato. It's to have a good one, but to be, to be able to use it and to use it uh, intentionally, not automatically, but intentionally, and uh, 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 don't not vibrate, you know, unless you're told to, but, you know, you, assume vibrato, you know, if you go into a stylistic, comp uh, uh, you're going to a stylistic uh, conversation, there's still vibrato even, you know, but used differently, you know, so, so that's the first thing. The other thing is, I find that violinists have a very difficult time playing in the bottom third of the bow. So uh, I happen to have bow here, playing this part of the bow. Like it's very easy to play from here to here because the bow arm works in a certain way like this. But once you have to then go into a bow change, this is the one of the hardest things to do. And and you can see it in professionals. You see people with a bow arm like this, and they, that's their that's their bow change at the at the frog. I, I see it in our orchestra. I can look look anywhere and see that. Um, but to do this and to use this, you know, six or eight inches of bow is perhaps the most important uh, skill. Now using this last two inches of the bow here is also very difficult. So, so I spent a lot of time on bow changes and, and um, especially at the frog, which then promotes a discussion of bow arm. So, if, you know, if the, if the wrist is going too high, you know, it, it, it's very difficult to make a good bow change. Unless you have, if you know, if you're a Russian bow arm and you're, you know, it's a certain, Thing. If it's by the way, if it sounds great, I'm going to leave it alone. You know, it's like <laughs> whatever your bow arm is. If it sounds good, you you, you don't mess with it, right? But it, usually, if if it's not right, it doesn't sound that good. There's a if you watch on YouTube, there's a masterclass with uh, Ivan Galamian with Josh Bell. He's about 12 years old, and Ivan Galamian says. If your bow arm doesn't look good, it's 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 not good. So he's he's complaining about Josh Bow's bow arm. It's the exact same bow arm he has. He shouldn't have complained because he sounded great. But he's you know you know on television. So you you have to you have to uh, uh, you have to be uh, you know judicious with your criticism. But sure. generally, this is this is this is this is the thing to get this motion is really difficult. What else? Another thing I I'm still I'm still going on. I, another thing that I find that most people are having trouble with is 
playing on the E string. And, um, you know, as concertmaster, I'm always on the E string, solos on the E string. So I had to figure out how to play on the E string. What I've decided is that if you're playing the E string and this is your bow angle, you're in trouble because you have to hold the bow onto the string. So what I try to do is get the bow angle to be this, so more, more parallel to the floor. And now I can play without any effort. I can play, you know, I can play just, you know, without pressure, without pressure, without tension. And then you make the high E string sound into, you know, your favorite place to be because you know what you're doing up there. So the, those are the three things that I'm, I'm almost constantly doing. I did a master class uh, the other day and uh, young professionals, and I had those three things to say to people. It's no doubt. But... If I'm talking to my daughter, who's a cellist, playing playing in the living room, I'm saying the same stuff to her on the cello. I mean, it doesn't quite apply, but a lot of it does, you know. And 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 she realizes when I, when she finally realizes, oh yeah, that's right. She's starting to realize instead of saying you don't know what you're talking about. So, uh, <laughs> but that's a maturity thing. Whether you're able to. Uh, absorb the the criticism or not is a maturity thing that that you, you just have to wait until they're ready to hear it. You just say it's the same. for us adults sometimes too, though. I feel oh, it's so <laughs> no matter the age. <laughs> no, that's that's excellent advice. Um, I, and I, I think you're you're absolutely right. So that the ties a little bit into so you were you, you did this master class and that was with um, students that were young professionals. And, and at that level, and as you mentioned, there were there were those issues that cropped up. Um, do you and you you have as you mentioned, um, one of your daughters is a cellist. When you are thinking about pitfalls that parents per se fall into when they are trying to help um, their young musicians, uh, have, are there pitfalls that you've seen either with parents of students that you've taught or other parents that you've seen? Um, around, you know, what your, what your kids have learned that you wish you could get across? Because I know that it's not perfect just because we're professionals doesn't mean that, you know, we can instantly know what's going to be appropriate for every child. But there are some things that are harder uh, for people who are not inside of the world of, of learning something like a string instrument, which is particularly challenging. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, you know, as a professional musician, parent of young musicians, I think First of all, there's a big advantage for the kid in that they get they get the, the message, the daily message, technical uh, message every day. The disadvantage is, they, you know, I can I can listen from two rooms away and say your bow is not straight, or you know, uh, you know, you, <laughs> that bow grip isn't going to make it. You can hear it, right? And that's just too much for a kid you know it's like you, you can't have someone it's like you know big brother or something it's like you can't have someone monitoring your ever every uh every bow stroke and hearing criticism uh it's just it's bad right and of course they're both their parents are, are violinists so it, it you know they get double dose of it which is double bad but We've learned, I think we've learned to just let it go. Okay, whatever you do, just go practice, you know. And uh, the younger one is 14, she's a violinist, 
and uh, and violas. She plays viola a lot, and that, and that's that's a great thing, by the way. Uh, the the more you can play viola, first of all, the more opportunities you have. But it's really good for your musicianship, and it's good for your technique to to uh, work on vibrato on the viola is like is a great thing for your vibrato on the violin, you know, or the 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 way to produce a sound on the viola, which requires a certain um, airiness to the sound and not as much pressure, perhaps. But you know, to make a great sound on the viola is difficult. So if you can do that, it really helps your violin playing as well. Um, but uh, yeah, so so it, 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 for the the uh, amateur parent, am, amateur not amateur parent, professional parent, <laughs> a, a musician, not musician. So, um, <laughs> it, it, you know, there are certain cultures that are really good with producing violinists because the mom or the dad, but usually the mom is there to monitor daily practice. And daily practice is probably the best equalizer of all. And parents have to be there to enforce it because I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I was getting out of practicing. You know, there were, I, at one point my teacher says, Oh, you know, here, get, get a kitchen timer and you do 20 minutes of practice, 10 minutes of break, right? 20, 10 and do that four times. So for the first week I did that, and I, wow, I was getting pretty good. I remember I was playing Vinyasky Polonaise, and I was really, it's really getting somewhere. And then uh, after that, the dings would come sooner and sooner, so that at a certain point, that 20 minutes became six minutes with a 20-minute break, you know, 25-minute break. I don't know if you did that too, but... Time travel is possible. It is true. Yes. <laughs> It's a miracle. It is a miracle. Yes, I, I may have, I may know something about something similar when I was a child. <laughs> and then the you know the watching TV during. Well, in any case, that bad behavior is bad behavior. But if if you, a parent is there, you yeah, know, then yeah. then it's a lot better. Uh, my best practice sessions were when my father would not say a word. He'd come and take a nap in my room and just listen to me play. Those are my best sessions. And all I do is play through Bach, play through my concerto. I wouldn't do much practicing, just play through. And he loved it. And wow, that was great. But, you know, yeah. you can't expect it. It's a, it's, it's a lonely business playing the violin. You have to have help uh, just to make it happen on a daily basis. Yeah, that involvement is crucial and, and whatever way that can be done. Um, which I think that balance for every family is different, whether they're, you know, how knowledgeable they are about what is being learned, but still just the time and the involvement is really what's key. So, yeah, that's, that is very, very true. Um, when you are, <laughs> so because um, one of your young daughters is learning violin, I was curious, are there, did you actually teach her yourself? you or your wife or did you have do you have other teachers because that is one thing that i think is interesting um and i've had other friends and guests on who had 
parents that were musicians, but decided, you know, it's better if it's outside of the family. Like it kind of goes back to that. How involved can or should you be um, in the process, which is hard for parents of, you know, whether they're musicians or not to navigate. Um, yes, absolutely. We, we have uh, um, other other teachers. Uh, my my daughter now is studying with my stand partner in New Jersey Symphony, Brennan Sweet, and he's a wonderful teacher. And you know, just whatever you want. Yeah, what are you doing? Oh, that's good. Let it happen. You know, and uh, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's really important. They have to find their way. You know, they have to find their own. Oh, of course. Plain yeah. path, you know mm-hmm. what? And and I can't. They don't want to listen to me. They don't want to listen to uh, my wife either. They, they just don't. The the younger one especially, but the older one now is listening more and more. But still, uh, young kids don't want to listen to their parents tell them, give it to someone else to do. You know, it's, you're paying someone else. Let them do it. They can be tough. They can be. They can be not tough. Whatever they need, which the the personality that works best with the kid for their learning is, is the one to have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you are working with students, this kind of goes back to your role as, as concert master and leader. Are there ways in which either, you know, with your own kids or with uh, students that you've worked with, are there ways that you have helped students build that kind of confidence or those leadership skills? Are there things that you think help young people to develop that as a skill? Uh, I mean, even within chamber music, I mean, if you're going to play first violin or anything where you're going to be asked to lead, those are, those are important for all musicians. Are there certain, certain things that you think are important to emphasize or that you have found help? Or is it just a matter of developing the technique and doing it? Yeah, I don't know that I can influence their Leadership. I mean, I, uh, you know, uh, for example, my student this semester, uh, I, I told her, you know, here, let's prepare. No, it was last semester. Let's prepare Ein Heldenleben because the orchestra was playing Strauss Ein Heldenleben, which has a huge violin solo. Let's prepare it. We'll work on it in the lessons little by little during this semester. And then you play for the music director and uh, see what happens because that's the, the audition process for that position of concertmaster playing this solo. So we had her uh, work on the stuff, stuff, stuff. She did, didn't even practice that much, but very good player. And she played for the music director and he basically had her play Heldenleben and, and she played it. And it was great. She did great. Um, leadership of a big orchestra i think that's a that's something you just it's an experience experience experiential expe, whatever it's <laughs> you can experience- edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> what it's experiential experiential <laughs> yes leadership at that level is experiential and 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 i i don't know that i can teach it uh i can give pointers for how to how to cue effectively you know how to play how to lead with your sound and uh and perhaps uh tell stories about other concert masters and their and their experiences which is very important 
when when uh, uh, you know one 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 uh, lesson which I've never really learned myself uh, as a soloist. My teacher t said, "When you talk to a conductor, this is Dorothy Delay. She said, when you speak to the con you need the conductor to play faster or slower. You you say." excuse me, maestro, and you walk up closely and in a whisper you say, I need it to go a little bit quicker, please. So you don't, it should, basically telling me that the relationship between a conductor and the orchestra is such that if you call them out, they're going to, they're going to look, they're going to not take it well. They're going to be on the defensive. And, and so this is something I learned early on. Of course, I use that technique to call them out. <laughs> as a concertmaster all the time because sometimes you just have to you can't be bullied by these dudes you know so uh so i, I like to i like to push back a little bit myself but that's my problem not yours <laughs> <laughs> no but being aware of that that's all part of like being aware of which both you learn from being told stories like that but also then you learn by by thinking about all these different relationships and <laughs> that's complicated. And I think you, you mentioned it earlier, uh, which I think should go without saying, but sometimes I'm, I'm not sure people realize um, there is an enormous amount of pressure when you're in a leadership position, uh, whether that's, you know, principle of any, you know, section, um, particularly concertmaster though. And that involves dealing with dealing with nerves and dealing with being able to be under pressure uh, when when things are difficult is is are there things that you feel help you to deal with nerves like say before you have to play Heldenleben or anything else like that or just in general are there ways that you have developed um, I don't want to say a thicker skin but just skills under pressure like that and are there things that you might suggest to people um, to help deal with that well sure I mean I don't know if it goes without saying, but you have to prepare like crazy. I mean, you have to prepare for for your demise. Basically, you have to you have to prepare as if your life depends on it. Uh, especially with some of these big solos, or or you know, playing a concerto, for instance, you have to prepare. You can't just walk on stage and 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 hope your nerves will hold up. You have to prepare for the the nerves to, to for your bow arm to go to be shot. So you have to plan out your entire piece, your bow arm, your strokes, especially the concertmaster solos. You have to prepare your breathing for for playing these solos. Where am I in the breath when I'm starting the first note from uh, uh, Scheherazade? You know, it's like I, I go through like a. You know, so that my, the beginning is, you know, starts immediately without any hiccup, you know, that the stroke is perfect. And that's the other thing is prepare for perfection and, 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 and then don't be surprised when it isn't perfect because it never will be. But really, perfection is actually not attainable, but it's a really good goal. It's a high level goal of, of, uh, uh, preparation, of course, but then le let it go. Cause otherwise you can't beat yourself up. If you're not perfect, you just can't, but you can try to be perfect. <laughs> it doesn't hurt. Yeah. So prepare, 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 and then prepare some more. And then <laughs> exactly. So and that, and, uh, that's, uh, reminds me of something I 
tell my students, you know, why is my battery not working? I tell my students, you know, um, violin playing is 90% intonation and the last 10% intonation. No, it's, that's, that is excellent and very practical advice, which is that you're never going to feel that you're actually 100% prepared, but that just means you need to do more and then be willing to let it go once you get there. Um, but yeah, yeah. Are there, is there other pieces of advice that you feel um, you would like to share with young musicians or their parents? Partially, I think, um, are there things that you find important for motivating either yourself or that you've seen is very motivational for other students? Um, well, again, you know, the motivation is fleeting. It, it, discipline is key. And I mean, I think the most important thing is to practice uh, at a time of the day that you, your brain is at its best. Um, you know, use that half an hour or hour early on the early on in the day it's a very different thing than after your whole day is gone you finished your homework now you're going to start practicing you know uh so so and, and because on a daily basis if you're feeling guilty because you haven't done your work if you feel it, you know, you, it builds on you. It's like three o'clock, five o'clock, seven o'clock comes along. And I was like, oh, I should have practiced. I should be practiced. I should be, you know, this kind of mindset of, of uh, feeling like you're not attending to your stuff. I think it's really debilitating. And I think that's where mental health issues come, where you, you, you get, you get yourself into a whole uh, it doesn't you know it doesn't have to be about violin about any work that you have to do any you know if you're sitting in bed and scrolling through your phone it it can get it can get the day can get past you and and you you'll just feel terrible so i think mental health is really important for being inspired you know you have to be available to be inspired you know um and your brain needs to be available. Your 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 emotionally, you need to be available uh, for for inspiration. And the, and then and then you can you can take advantage of so many things. Dif that's a difficult lesson. That's a personal lesson that you know I'm still working on myself. But uh, it really important. It's very easy to tell someone else that you know. Oh, you should be doing this. You could if you did this, you'd be great shape. I can't even do it myself, but I try. You know so. Uh, uh, but it's still something you know. Do as I say, don't don't do as I do. But <laughs> it's still really important. Mental health is important, and you you have to be in charge of your day to to make to make that happen. I think that's that is yeah so true. Um, before we wrap up, and I have sort of the last questions I want to ask you. Uh, there are a lot of things that are that are tricky. And challenging about being a professional musician doing what we do doing what you do 
what is something, what is one of the things that you really love about what you do? What are, what is something that you love about the career that you have or, or the work that you get to do as a musician? Well, um, you know, uh, getting in, getting completely immersed in the music that you're playing is a feeling like no other. I mean, it, I, I don't know where you can find that in any other <laughs> uh, profession. Um, there's there's a certain joy that you get from uh, uh, just flowing with the music, um, and it's it's delightful. I mean, it's 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 why I'm, it's why I do it, especially in performance. But it happens in rehearsal too, uh, assuming that uh, they let it happen. Uh, they being those in charge, those conductors, you know, but, uh, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's why we do it. I think the feeling of freedom of, uh, of just being, of going this way and that way, depending on where the music takes you, where the performance takes you, where the oboe soloist takes you, where the cello section is leading you, where, you know, where the solo pianist is going, you know, uh, uh, it, the, these details, the, the the horns and the brass section, when they get when they're right on and they're doing what they need to do, and you follow them, you know, and and, and immersion in the music is just the best thing. It really is. I couldn't agree more. And I wanted to ask, last but not least, for people who are now you know so interested in what you do, I know what an amazing player you are. I know a lot of other people do as well. Where can people find you? Where can they listen to your stuff and things of that nature outside of coming to hear New Jersey Symphony and getting to hear you there? But Right. Well, yeah, I don't have a website. I'm not, I don't attend to my, uh, you know, social media. Th- I, I'm just <laughs> not interested, really. But uh, I do have a lot of things on YouTube. There's a Busoni Concerto, which is not a video, it's a recording from a radio broadcast that I'm really proud of uh, on YouTube. Uh, if you put in my name, and Naomi Yarvi is conducting, so so you know that that's that's something you can put his name in as well. And 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 when you put my name up, a whole bunch of recordings come up. I mean, we did so many during the pandemic, and it's all it's all on youtube and some of them are good the quality you know sound quality isn't necessarily good they're a little bit dry sounding sometimes you know made with the uh, iphone but uh and uh i don't know they those things need to be edited frankly but mm-hmm. you can see me yeah. there i've got a lot of stuff absolutely up. i will put all of those links in the show notes so that people can find you and uh yeah that is that is really wonderful so Thank you, Eric, very much for your time. I'm sure that everyone who's listening uh, is appreciative as well. And I hope we will come up with other reasons to have you back on so we can talk more. (laughs) Joanna, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I deeply appreciate Eric's dedication to the work of a concertmaster, a very high-pressure role, as well as his love of teaching, which I think came across in our discussion. I couldn't agree more with him that mental health, being able to manage our time well in order to truly prepare thoroughly for the joyful but also very stressful work of performing, is one of the crucial skills for young musicians and their parents. Students today can get pulled in so many directions by life and schoolwork and, for adults, by the many, many roles we all play in our lives. And making time to get to practice early and often each day helps us lessen feelings of overwhelm 
while also developing confidence and healthy balance in life. Ultimately, as he pointed out, you prepare and you prepare and you prepare early and often, and you aim for perfection, but in the moment, it's just a matter of letting go and being in that moment. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please take a moment to share it with a friend or leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts, which really helps. And you can always reach out to chat with me via Instagram. I am at JoannaFerrar802, and I love to chat with people about the show and music in general. You can also, of course, find more on our website at www.musicparentpodcast.com or on my personal website, JoannaFerrar.com. Thanks for joining us. Happy practicing, and I will see you next time.